I'm really excited to announce that I'm going to be coming to the Men's Ironman World Championships in Nice to do three live podcasts. The podcasts are going to be on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night of race week. Um, the men's race is on Sunday, the 10th of September. The podcasts are going to be on at 6 till 7 p.m. those nights. So if you're in Nice for the World Championships racing or spectating or why have you there, um, yeah, it'd be really great to, to get you along and, and meet you in person and get you there for the hour to listen to the live podcast. We're going to have some big guests, um, some top contenders, some longstanding friends of the show, and a follow-up interview that I'm pretty excited about with my lo- most listened to and probably most controversial guest ever. So nervous and excited for that. Uh, I'm going to announce all of those guests on race week, probably on the podcast on the Monday. So keep your ears peeled for that. Thanks again to Pillar Performance. Um, They're the ones who have put all this on. They've gone to so much effort to make it happen. So I really do owe Pillar for that. Tickets are going to be pretty limited. There's only going to be 50 people per podcast. So getting quick. And that's just because that's all that the venue can can sort of hold at capacity. Um, It's this awesome little venue in Nice. So again, I'm excited about that too. There's going to be French champagne, some beers, some snacks um, when you come along and Pillar are going to send you home with um, a free tub of triple magnesium for everyone who comes. So that's pretty nice of them too. Tickets are going to be going live tomorrow. So Tuesday, the 29th of August. um, And I'm going to post about that on the triathlon hour Instagram. So yeah, jump in quick because there is only going to be 50 available for each night. Beth and Luke McKenzie, it's great to have you guys here to do a quick recap of all things the Ironman 70.3 World Championships over the weekend. Uh, There's lots to talk about and I'm sure we'll get stuck into all of it. There was lots on and off the race course um, on on this particular weekend. Why don't we start with the men's race that's just happened and everything, all the drama, all the theatrics surrounding that. Yeah, I guess uh, thanks for having us on again, Jack. It's uh, good to to do a recap with you and catch up because, uh, yeah, it's been a while and uh, it's good to be your uh, eyes on the ground here, I guess, at this World Championships. Um, yeah, so, you know, it was interesting here, the word on the street, I guess, the week leading into the race, and I guess you sort of got wind of it as well, was a lot of people turned up from Singapore quite sick, and that was sort of a, a really big deal, um, just watching some of the, I guess, the favourites uh, in both the men's and women's races sort of struggling through that. And, uh, you know, we got to see some of these people ourselves uh, around the, the village. And, um, yeah, I think there was a lot of optimism from from many of the athletes that were in that situation. You know, I'm talking about Christian, Sam Long, uh, Jason West, uh, they, you know, some of the other women, um, you know, Ellie Salthouse wasn't 100 percent. I know Amelia wasn't feeling 100 percent either. So, um, you know, I think that big turnaround the, the the long flight the the what happened in Singapore really did play a part here uh you know with people actually getting to the start line uh, in top shape and then yeah then I think then you throw in um a few extra dynamics like you know I think uh people arriving here and I guess they were a little bit surprised by the you know the course was a tough course and 
I think it was probably a little bit understated, uh, maybe on the course profiles and just the way that it was presented to the athletes. And so that was another big talking point that uh, we seem to be having this common conversation with athletes about how tough the bike course would be. And, and we actually both ran the run course prior to the race and we were both very surprised as well, uh, just how tough that run course. It wasn't too unlike uh, St. George actually, uh, the, the old 70.3 that they had there. So, yeah, I mean, a few things pre-race that were, that were quite interesting to us that I think really ended up playing a big role in today's and yesterday's race. Yeah, I don't just know about it um, from being at Singapore and, and getting wind of it. I reckon I had it. And so I've been wanting to talk about this, that everyone kept, keeps saying it, it was the water at Singapore that made everyone sick. But I don't know. I'm not sure, so sure it was because, for example, Sam Laidlow was sick leading into the race. Mick and Newt was sick leading into the, the, the Asian Open at Singapore. And so I was commentating the women's race on the Saturday and then the men's on the Friday, women's, ra- Saturday, women's race on the Saturday men's race on the Sunday and during the men's race on the Sunday I started feeling so sick like I was faint and like dizzy and just felt like I was about to pass out for like the whole two three hours that we were commentating it to the point where at the end of it I had to just leave I like I just had to bail from the studio that we we're recording and I just spewed everywhere like I barely made it like there's a little bit of grass just outside the studio and I just got to it and just like projectile vomited everywhere and I just felt so garbage and then for like four days afterwards I was just couldn't get off the toilet (laughs) and and then so I started getting messages from everyone like literally everyone who I was talking to at the race pretty much was the same thing and not just people who had raced but people who hadn't raced as well were well yeah we're calling it like the Singapore Bally and like some some someone for example ended up in hospital that was there at Singapore for it because they were so sick and they were there on um, IV you know an IV drip in hospital and that kind of thing and they messaged me and said like, hey, I reckon we've all got COVID. And so I know this is something we haven't talked about in three years, but he's like, I tested positive for COVID as well because my mum said to me, oh, there's a strain going around, um, I think in Singapore where um, people are having these symptoms and he tested and he was positive. And so I don't know, like we, we all think it's the water, but I don't know, maybe it is the water, maybe it was food there, maybe it's a bit of COVID. I don't know, but everyone was sick. So then to hear that Jason West was sick and Christian Blumenfeld was sick and struggling with it and hadn't left the toilet for five or six days leading leading into uh, coming off Singapore, it wasn't too much of a surprise. But what about Christian? He he did that and he'd been the same as everyone. He hadn't left the bathroom since Singapore and he, he didn't just finish the race. He actually had a decent race for anyone that wasn't Christian Blumenfeld. Yeah, I mean, that's it's typical Christian, right? And it was really cool today to see that he finished what he started and he still was, you know, giving it what he had on the day when he didn't have nearly, you know, the full, the full packet that he normally has. So that was really cool to see. Just a quick thing about the Singapore, Singapore belly or whatever. I had thought maybe it was the water because, but now that you're saying you were sick as well, but most of the people here that have been turned up as really sick are all the men. And I was wondering if there was something different from the women's day to the men's day, like Ellie's thing was unrelated. That was, a, you know, an eye infection. I know Imogen Simmons was a little bit sick, but she couldn't have been as sick as the rest with what she pulled off at this race. I don't know. Maybe there was something different on the men's day, but maybe not. Who knows? But yeah, Christian, who's, you know, full props to Christian for finishing off a day that where he wasn't winning. It was awesome to see. 
Yeah, he definitely got a really big uh, ovation from the crowd as he came into the finish. Uh, I think a lot of people, um, you know, would have called it a day had they had a similar day to, to him. But um, he definitely received a lot of, um, you know, a lot of praise for finishing it off. And so I think, you know, when when you're so used to winning everything you touch, I think, the bad days also define you as well. And so to see him finish it off and actually with a smile on his face, I think uh, that was actually pretty cool. Came 35th in the end, hey, like 20 minutes back, which you never really expect to, to see from Christian. Beth, touching on that point you make about the men's and women's races being different, it's really interesting because the men's and women's swims were different, but the men's ra- the men's swim got changed to avoid this section of bad water. They were worried about this section mm-hmm that was at the end of the women's race for, for the morning of the men's race where it got a like sort of slightly crappy water like um, quality reading. So they changed it to avoid it. So it's funny that the race that got changed to avoid the poor water quality is the one where the men got sick. And I don't know. Like, <laughs> well, maybe it was all smoke and mirrors and they just like sort of changed it but not enough on the men's day. Who knows? We'll never know. But it's one of those things that like – had a huge impact at the 70.3 World Championships. So it will be interesting to see, you know, what the future holds for everything in that. Obviously, there's two very big races one week apart on the on the different side of the planet as well. And so when you think about that, the logistics of it to go to both was very ambitious. And I'm not saying that the athletes shouldn't have attempted it, but that's one of the big risks you take as a professional athlete if you're going to be doing that kind of a race schedule so you know i mean there was athletes that were all in like freddie funk and um danny reef and emma pallant brown they, they were all in for this race rather than uh going over to singapore so i think like you you've got to sort of um look at like well, what's your real objective here if you really wanted to perform at the world 70.3 champs well then maybe you needed to forego singapore and if you really wanted to do well in singapore then maybe 70.3 was a bit of a, you know, a, a second thought. So I think that's just how it is this day and age. There's so many races to choose from and it's just, it's very appealing to try and do them all, but it's just not, it's just not viable. Well, if you look at the men's race today, so the 70.3 World Championships, I'm pretty sure I haven't actually gone and looked at this. I should have fact-checked. I think Sam Long, who finished 12th, might have been the highest person who race Singapore and the 70.3 World Championships. I'm pretty sure all 11 guys ahead of him didn't race Singapore. So that speaks a, a volume to it. And if you look at the podium, like Rico and Freddie Funk and Jan Stratman, they were all targeting the 70.3 World Championships and I don't think even considered going to Singapore. Right. And Sam, I'm sure would have been banking and trying to be top American, but then you've got Mark Dubrick, right? Yep, Dubrick. Uh, yeah, and he did, did. He didn't race Singapore, did he? No, he raced the U.S. Open where Jan Fredino did, didn't yeah. know who he was. And uh, then, and then, but that was really cool for him to see him in the top ten. I loved that. Yeah, yeah. There was. I think that's the thing about this men's race at the seventy point three World Championships, where it's a little bit different to the women's race, is that pretty much everyone inside the top ten is someone who not many people would have expected to be there if you had have predicted the top ten at the start of the year, like. Maybe maybe Frederick Funk's the only one who people would have been sort of picking for that. Like no one, I don't think anyone picked Rico to to win the race, let alone come top 10 today, did they? I will say, this is funny because Beth, Beth's laughing as well. We saw Nils Fromhold yesterday. I haven't seen Nils for quite a while. I used to race him quite a lot. He won Ralph back he in the day. He won Ralph back in the day. He, he's a great athlete from Germany. 
And the only little interaction we had is he said, I'm here supporting Rico Bogan and he is the biggest dark horse of this race. And I left that conversation. I actually said to Beth, I'm like, do you know who he's even talking about? <laughs> and we, yeah, I kid you not. And we kept on, kept on going on our run. And then fair enough today, as soon as they got on the bike, all of a sudden this guy's name pops up and I was like, that's Rico Bogan. And he just kept running away with it. So yes, Nils Fromhold was one of the people that did pick this, uh, this result. He see he's got the inside German word being a German man himself, doesn't he? Yeah. It's like the yeah. Germans are just hiding all of these young athletes that you don't hear about, and then suddenly they're all like sort of performing at a random challenge race in January, and then winning a big race uh, later on in championship season. It sort of tends to happen every year at the moment. Um, who did you guys sort of think were the big favourites going into the race? Who were you thinking was was going to podium? Yeah, I mean, we thought the the usuals, right? Like. Kristen Blumenfeld. I really had my eyes on Jason West until I heard that they were both sick. So, you know, it's just like, I wasn't really thinking with the Euro mindset, but again, it reminds us that like you, Jack, me, Luke, we're all very like Euro and American centric where we're thinking about these people and these big names, but you know, Rico Bogan, like he won 70.3 Critch Gal this year. Like he's definitely an up and comer, but not something that was on any of our radars because he hasn't, you know, quite made it into the PTO races or things like that. So it's, it was cool to see, but no, I like none of my picks were in the top 10 today. I think one of the Except things, Freddie. I love Freddie. I think one of the things that when the Ironman world comes to Europe though, is they've got to expect that there's some real dark horse Euro athletes that really haven't, um, raced on I guess what we call the world stage the PTO or some of the bigger Ironman events around the world circuit but here in Europe they're absolute beasts and uh, today was a true Euro day it was filthy cold it was it was not a nice day at all and that's sometimes the kind of weather conditions and the days that a different kind of athlete comes to the fore and I think that's what we saw today it was some of the athletes that just live and breathe this kind of weather um, and conditions uh, were the people that really, the, the athletes that really uh, were up in the, in the front of the race today. I think that's a good point, Luke, because if you look at that bike course, those guys were all hammering that bike course in a way that some guys from the chase behind weren't. And Tom Bishop always tells the story about how well Fred Funk rides in the Austrian or German hills when it rains. He's like, no one can keep up with him. And it was sort of that kind of weather and that kind of course today. And you saw Rico, he looked amazing on the bike. Jan Stratman, he rides those conditions really well. Matthias, he's the exact same. If it's a tough sort of technical bike course, he's as good as anyone in the world. Then you have like Josh Lewis, who is from Ireland and you know, everyone knows what the weather's there like is like there. And they were five of the guys who were off the front all day working hard on the bike and, and ultimately were the top five. So it is one of those things, isn't it? Like when the world championships come to Australia, you've got to expect the Australians to do well. When they're in America, the Americans do a little bit better. When they're in Europe, we should know by now that Germans, you know, um, well, just anyone, any of the Euro countries, we've got to start looking at those guys, maybe more than what we do the Australians and the and the Americans for when we are like picking before the race and, and not be so surprised with, that when these European names do pop out of nowhere that we haven't really heard of before that they're there at the front of the race. Yeah, no. And you know what, it, it got me thinking about Nice in two weeks because 
you know, we're all going to pick the old favorites, right? But this this could have been the premonition that like maybe those aren't the people that we need to be picking sort of thing. You know, we've never seen an Ironman World Championships outside of Kona. Is this the first Ironman World 70.3 World Championships in Europe? No, they had them in Zellemsee in Austria and they've also had them in Nice in ah. France. So okay. there, has, there has oh, been, yeah, a, right. and, you know, obviously during uh, at those events, you know, we had Jan Fredino, Sebastian Kindler, um, and then obviously Gustav in um, in Nice. So it's we, it, we do Europe. see the European athletes, uh, you know, up the front in Europe. So I guess, you know, I we're pretty easily influenced to, um, you know, obviously when you're watching the coverage of the race, the 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 commentators aren't really knowing the athletes that they're commentating on either so it's quite easy for them to pick the athletes that they know that are up the front so uh usually up the front so i think that that's probably just something to to keep in mind come nice what do you guys make of this that this wasn't a very strong 70.3 world championships men's race and that singapore last week is where the big names really cared about and the us open and then with nice coming up so it was sort of like, I uh, just heard a bit of chat that it wasn't a very strong field, maybe one of the weaker 70.3 World Championship fields of all time. What do you, Where do you guys stand on that? I mean, I still think it was a very strong field. I just think some of the players in the field were impacted by Singapore last week, obviously. However, the field would have been stronger had it not been 13 days before the Ironman World Championships because the, the top top people are not going to be typically doing both. Like they're going to choose one or the other and there needs to be at least three to four weeks apart in similar time zones, that kind of thing, which it's the time zones, but it's too close. Like you can't do both. And like, you know, you didn't see Jan turn up here and that's, that's why. I think it was smart that that most of the athletes that I know of that are racing Nice didn't show up here. I think they, they would struggle to recover from this one. Um, and so, yeah, the, the fact that a lot of the, the, I guess what we call the big, big hitters bypassed this, uh, excluding, I guess, Christian, Sam Long, Lionel, um, yeah, we, we probably, that's what resulted in the slightly weaker field, but I, you know, to be honest, I, there's not that many, when we, when we look at the women's race, I cannot name that many women that really missed this, this world 70.3 champs. It was really, comes later. yeah, because obviously because. Kona's later. Yeah, the women's race completely different. You can't question that field, and we're, we're going to touch on that. Just to to wrap up a few things on the men's race, I think we can all agree that that Rico Bolgan is like a guy we have to keep our eye on now. Twenty two years old, I think he turns twenty three in a couple of weeks, which just absolutely crazy. If you had to told people ten years ago that twenty two year olds can win the seventy point three World Championships, people would have laughed at you. Yeah, he's the youngest ever. Youngest ever. Yep, and it just keeps happening, doesn't it? The last two years. I think the new, the new, the old norm was that you would win races at 32. But if you're doing that now, you're a complete outlier. And then if you're Jan Frodeno doing it at 42, you, you know, you're completely bucking the trend. But every big race now is being won by someone under 30, which that just never used to happen in long course triathlon. No, oh, yeah, Freddie's really young too, isn't he? Yep, Freddie's really young. Uh, Matisse is really young. I mean, yeah, it's the changing of the guard, and I think we've seen it you know, in a lot of sports, I think, you know, even Taylor, very young, um, you know, you, it's, it's what's happening these days. And I think that, um, you know, the sport's evolving and, and, you know, to look at today and to see that um, Rico went 332 on a insanely hard course 
goes to show where the level of the sport is now. You know, I don't, you know, even on Christian's best day or, or Gustav's best day, it would have been a close race, I, I honestly believe. So, um, yeah, no, I think that, you know, moving forward, I think we've got to expect that the younger generation, the the the, the early 20-year-olds are the, the big hitters in, in the sport right now. You talked about Freddie Funk. Let's chat about Freddie because obviously – um, I have yeah. a, a minor man crush on him. It's not that big. Um, I, I do too. Yeah, it's hard not to love Fred Funk, isn't it? There's just something about him. I don't know what it is, but he's impossible not to love. Absolutely. Just a, a real genuine down-to-earth guy. Um, you know, I've, I really enjoy my chats with with Freddie and uh, I had a few here during my time here in Lati and he was really relaxed, very confident in in his training and um he was ready and really focused on this race and it showed and um i was screaming at him to to get on that podium i really thought you know he was in for a chance to win as he came off the bike and we weren't to know that rico was going to have that run but um you know he, he was really challenged midway through that that run with jan coming up from behind uh and matisse sort of thereabouts as well so for him to to grab that second uh that was that was a huge result and it couldn't go to a, a better, more deserving guy and he's had a he's had a really average year as well, Fred. Like a, a year that he's been quite disappointed in. Like he he I think he came twentieth at the European Open. He came thirteenth at the U.S. Open. He had a win um, in Austria uh, in like a pretty weak field, and he came third at the, the championships. But for him, who is a guy who started the year at about um, number ten in the world and had dropped down to about twenty in the world, he'd had a he'd had an average year. So. Um, this was his one big last chance. He's like the last big race he had. So, yeah, to come second at a 70.3 World Championship suddenly now probably makes it the best year of his career. And it was going down the trajectory of being maybe maybe a letdown of a year. So it is funny how one big race can turn a season around for, for a triathlete, isn't it? Yeah, he's definitely going to be on for, you know, a great 2024. And I think this sets him up for for the next couple of years with, sponsors and things like that so it's good to see him have that kind of platform and as my my bestie Belinda Belinda Granger likes to say he's just a lovely young boy (laughs) uh, yeah I can't wait to see what his future has in store yeah and then we touched on it Jan Stratman finished third Matthias finished fourth Um, Josh Lewis a guy who again I don't know how many people even knew who Josh Lewis was before today's race um, rounding out the top five just some names to look forward to in the future and and new players on the scene. And I think we're going to see that a lot more. Um, now that the sport is a bit more popular, there are these just young kids popping out popping out from from nowhere and, and suddenly being big players like we talked about. The, the only other real big talking point on the men's race is Lionel Sanders. Did you guys get much of a vibe being there live as to what was happening with Lionel? Yeah, I ran into Talbot soon after he went out onto the run and he was sort of in a bit of a tizzy about him, you know, he as he came out of the transition and sort of his interactions in the transition with with certain people. And um, yeah, I guess, you know, obviously Lionel in the moment was pretty, um, he, was, he was a bit perplexed about how he got the penalty. And, you know, I know since the race, you know, the sort of the images have come out of the section that was he was called on for the penalty. And yeah, I think I think this is probably the issue with the course, uh, with a lack of communication prior to the race. There was uh, some talk about center lines and when you could and you couldn't go over them, but you know they didn't mention any invisible center line at all. And I think you know having spoken to a few people after the race, I think that was a pretty tough call on Lionel, given the fact that 
he was coming up on a group of 20 odd athletes and passing them on a downhill stretch that didn't appear to have any kind of center line yet it was probably only you know a bit over a car and a half width wide anyway it was such a small country road and this is a closed road it's a world championship and I think you know it's it's unfortunate because an athlete like that they, they dedicate their year to a, a race and I would have to say with a little bit of overzealous sort of officiating, you know, just almost officiating for the point of, of, of officiating, you, you pull a penalty on an athlete that was in a legitimate position to have a great race and it totally destroys it. And, you know, I feel for him because, you know, he did really want to do well at this race and it was probably his chance at, at getting up there on the podium at a world 70.3, if not winning it. And to have that ripped away in those circumstances, I just think, you know, I want, I want the officials just to to think a little bit with a bit more common sense. You know, I feel that the, it's, it was just a really rough call and, um, you know, it, it's it's part of the sport I know and, and we've got to play by the rules, but we've also got to have a little bit of leeway when, when there needs to be a little bit of common sense involved. I think the thing with it is it seems a bit of a lottery at the moment. So we obviously, everyone has seen the footage of Christian Blumenfeld, who I look at as a very fair racer. Um, so it's not about Christian, but he clearly crosses a centre line that's actually a marked centre line. Now, you're not allowed to do that. And then Lionel Sanders passes uh, an athlete when there's no centre line. An imaginary line. Yeah, yeah. and get, gets told it's for crossing an imaginary line, which it's just not in the rule book. So he got disqualified for a rule that doesn't exist. And then we see video of guys breaking the rule that does does actually exist and they're fine, they're, they're allowed to keep racing. I don't know. There's just some changes that need to be made at Ironman with this because – I like that they enforce the rules. I like that if you do draft in Ironman racing that you're probably not going to get away with it. Um, some races and then other races you might, but at, at least there's a chance you're going to get pulled up with a penalty, which I think is good for the sport. But what do they expect? We have like these fields of 30 to 50 world-class professionals who are all coming out of the swim basically together, riding in these big packs with 12-metre draft zones and no race ranger. Of course there's going to be – it's like it's literally impossible for there not to be drafting, for there not to be some like blocking and passing issues. It's just like there's some no-brainers. Like change the system. We, we, the, the sport isn't like it was in 2005. You need 20-metre draft zones. You need to bring in some technology like race ranger. We're seeing the PTO races. They're not perfect. There is still some drafting that exists, but it's way less than, than Ironman races. So I don't know, maybe a little bit of um, – I don't know, like a, a mindset of evolving and going like, hey, the sport's changed. Maybe we do need to, to rethink how we're going about this um, officiating of the rules. Yeah, I, I just think that if Ironman wants to progress in the sport, they need to look at a few things. Like, yeah, if you're, you know, every race course is going to be different. And if there's 20 to 30 professional males coming out within two minutes of each other, like that there are going to be some ine inevitables and you cannot... If you want to progress the sport professionally, you cannot have a bunch of amateur volunteer race referees out there deciding people's livelihood. There needs to be a team, you know, for the professional racers that goes around at world championship events and any sort of championship events that are paid professionals, not local volunteers. And it's nothing against the local volunteers. They're amazing. Let them officiate the age group race but there needs to be some sort of professionalism to respect the livelihoods of the professional athletes. I was yep. standing there watching the the men's race today with Emma Pallant Brown, actually. And we were discussing this exact thing that obviously when you get to the world championship level or a PTO level race, a Kona, a Nice, 
you've got all the best athletes racing at this race. And these are the athletes that are used to leading every event they're at. They've maybe got one or two athletes around them, but all of a sudden you get to these big world championship PTO level races and they're all thrown in the mix together. And a lot of these athletes aren't used to these dynamics. And that's something that like, you know, it's, it's something that they really need to adapt and evolve with like on the go in during the race. Cause it, it's only once or twice a year that they're really in this situation. And I think like w- what it comes down to as well is, uh, I mean, athletes as much as they, they want to blame the officials, but there's also got to be some common sense on the athletes from, from the athletes perspective that there's going to be a different dynamic at these events. So you sort of got to race accordingly. And I think, you know, making smart decisions throughout the race and making sure that, you know, you're not in a vulnerable position yourself and putting yourself in the firing line with one of these volunteers is something that is, it should be really something that you're going into the race, almost planning to, to avoid. And I think that's got to be something that they, that the athletes need to look at. If you've got big races coming up or plans to do a triathlon in the future and need to sort out having a fast, comfortable and amazing looking triathlon suit, then Win Republic is where you need to look. Head to Win Republic's website at winrepublic.com and check out all of their amazing world-leading triathlon suits. They were designed by professional triathletes Luke and Beth McKenzie who care about four things. They care about speed, comfort, practicality and looking bloody good. Use the discount code TTH15 for 15% off anything you get from their website because they've also got some equally amazing cycling and running kit to have a look at while you're there. In summary, though, I do think Lionel was pretty harshly dealt with there, probably a bit unfair. I don't know. We we know in these situations that nothing's going to happen, so Lionel probably just walks away from that trip um, down on on money and and robbed of an opportunity to, to have a performance that, a lot of people probably never expected him to, to have again. I, I personally watched, was watching that race, seeing where he was at and thinking, oh my God, like I'm shocked that Lionel is in a position to win a world championship race, which I believed he was. So just disappointed that he didn't get the chance to at least try and at least see. So um, would have rather to see rather like watch him blow up and finish 30th than, than that, that DQ. So a bit disappointing. Um, moving on to the women's race, uh, Beth, this is very yeah. different to the men's race. Uh, Taylor Nib wins the race in Taylor Nib fashion, um, and everyone was picking Taylor Nib to win. So the opposite of of the surprise we saw in the men's race. Yeah, exactly. A lot of the favorites were up there, uh, which was great to see. And I think that is because we have a lot of a lot of super strong women here. There were super strong men as well, but a lot of even some of the Kona contenders have been showing up, like Daniela Reef, like Kat Matthews potentially Taylor Nib, who knows with the rumors, you know, there's just a lot going on. Um, Laura Phillip, like there was, it was just amazing to see. It was such a great race. And, but for me, race of the day was Imogen Simmons. Wow. What a, what a race for third. I know she had a great race in Singapore just the week before, which was amazing to see, but you know, Luke and I raced with Imogen back, you know, in Thailand, several like many years ago when she was just coming onto the scene and she was amazing and she's had a few really tough years and it was great to see her sort of back on top along with Kat Matthews of course and Taylor just infallible amazing so good baby goat as Luke likes to call her (laughs) I loved the race between Kat Matthews and Emma Pallant Brown for me that was sort of what made the race Kat Matthews story is pretty incredible um like I know we, it's probably an over-talked about story, but it's that for a reason because it was a pretty bad accident and 
I don't know, Kat's such a likable person. So you sort of, you find yourself rooting for her and rooting for her to get back and, and have some big results. And, and so to see that, that play out was, I don't know, it's just, I found it personally a bit inspiring and, um, yeah, I loved watching it and to, to do it in that fashion in a battle with, with Emma Pallant-Brown and then just get Imogen Simmons, you know, right before the line. Um, that whole that whole battle for second, third and fourth for me made the race. Um, Taylor Newby's sort of just on another level at the moment though. I, I, I was talking to a lot of people before the race. Who do we expect to have a faster bike split, Taylor Nib or Daniela Reef? And it, it wasn't just like 80% of people thought Taylor and 20% thought Daniela. It was pretty much 50-50. And, you know, Daniela coming off Challenge Roth, having the fastest full-distance bike split of all time by a long way and everyone thinking Daniela's back for the Taylor then to ride four minutes faster than a, over a 70.3 distance race. It was, yeah, that was pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, I mean, Taylor is on another level right now. I think not a, not just her bike, bike, but the run that she put together yesterday was um, – I was I was I was very surprised the the way that she rode I thought I mean she might be a little bit vulnerable like riding that that hard with some some really serious runners uh breathing down her neck like Kat Matthews uh, and, and Emma Pallant Brown but she she didn't just sort of hold her own she actually really um gave it to them and if not I'm not quite sure if she did out, end up out splitting them there were definitely splits we were watching where she was out splitting the girls behind as well so yeah, it's it's very impressive racing. I mean, to go three fifty two on this course uh, is mind blowing. So um, you know, I think like I like I said, you know, I think this is the this is sort of the changing of the guard for the women's long course racing. If if Taylor wants to go to the Ironman distance, which there's there's some heavy rumours that that she does, then um, yeah, we could be looking at an, another Daniela Reef in the making. I think she only got outran by Kat Matthews and Emma Pallant-Brown inside the top 10. Obviously, Tamara was outside the top 10 and, you know, outran everyone pretty much. But, um, yeah, inside the top 10, she still had the the third fastest run time. And she's outriding everyone by four to six minutes, including people like Daniela Reef and Paula Finlay. And we know how, how high quality they are. So, like, I, I want to move on to this speculation. There's been talk since way before the, the this race, like, going back six to eight weeks that Taylor was going to try and do the Ironman World Championships. Was there much talk at like at the race? Was Were you guys getting any inside word on it? Uh, I mean, you know, you never, never divulge your secrets, but I think even on the commentary, there were just some, some very loose allusions to the fact that Taylor might be considering Kona, but I, you know, I don't know for sure. And it wouldn't be my place to say. That makes it sound like there might have been a little bit of inside word. Interesting. Watch this space. Um, was there anyone else outside of what we've talked about? So Taylor Nib and Kat Matthews, Imogen Simmons, Emma Pallant-Brown. What were some other like stories from the women's race that caught your guys' eyes? Yes. So for one of them, for me, was Ellie Salthouse. She, like Lionel Sanders, got penalties. She actually got two penalties. I think they were both for slotting in. I'll have to look but it was 10 minutes of penalties. And then, so I went back and I, I did the math and um, I think without those penalties she potentially definitely could have come in the top five. Um, so that was pretty interesting. And she was saying she was having the race of her life, but I, you know, I don't know the circumstances of the penalties or if they were, you know, anything, but I think she was having a great race. It was disappointing to see her not really, you know, be able to fight for that. It was pretty crazy to see that image of like five women in the penalty box, Ali Salthouse being one of them, Holly Lawrence, another one. And and yeah, mm. Ali Salthouse, she, 
if you just take the time from her penalties, she, she definitely would have finished fifth or maybe even fourth, which for her would have been a massive result. And so then the question is like, did she deserve the penalties or not? And are these Ironman 70.3 World Championship races sort of just set up where at some point everyone's going to draft, everyone's going to block, everyone's going to cut in, that kind of thing. And and really everyone probably at some point does something that could warrant a penalty. And it's just like if you get caught or not, and that can dictate whether you come like fourth or fifth or 10th in a World Championship event. Well, Jack, we know, we all know there's an easy solution. Get on board with Race Ranger. I mean, it's not that hard. And I think, you know, if if at the very minimum, I mean, we're, we're serious about it, that they would at least have it at Kona, Nice and this World Championships. And then maybe they can trickle it down from there. But, I mean, look at what's happening. In the last couple of years, we saw it at Kona last year with, with a whole bunch of the women ending up in the penalty tent. We've seen it here again. And it's going to keep happening. And we always speak about it after the race. Did they deserve it? Well, guess what? There's technology that exists that defines that exact distance. It tells the athletes. And I think we would be avoiding this whole situation. And, um, you know, the sooner that Ironman gets on board with Race Ranger and makes it fairer for the athletes and makes the officiating more clear and precise, then yeah, then we're just going to have this same conversation. Did she deserve it? Yeah. It, every single big Ironman race is marred with this at the moment. Like it's pretty much all we've talked about today. Sam Long at the 70.3 Worlds last year, Laura Phillip at the Ironman World Championships um, last year, and then this one we've had Lionel Sanders. We had five women in the penalty box at one time. Uh, that just reminded me, I want to read out the message that I got sent by Race Ranger today um, about why they're not at the races. So I'll read it out in full. Hey, Jack. I've had 50 plus, message, 50 plus people message me asking us over the weekend why we're not at the Ironman 70.3 World Championships. We would have loved to have been there. We were in Paris last weekend for the Paralympic test event and now we've come to the 70.3 World Championships. Our discussions with head referee Jimmy at Ironman had been really positive dating back as far as 2018, but they just don't seem interested at the moment. I haven't heard back in about two months since my last message. Nice might not be the ideal use case with the climbs, but if they are interested for Kona, we are definitely available and more than happy to work with Ironman. Cost is basically just the cost of travel for myself and air freight of the gear at this stage. The door is open and we'll keep trying to work collaboratively with all parties to move the sport forward. Bookings for 2024 calendar year are taking shape. So that's Race Ranger coming out and said, saying basically, hey, we're trying to get in on these Ironman races. We're sending messages asking to come. We want to come. And it just looks like Ironman don't really want them there. Yeah, it's, 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 I think that's just the way that Ironman operate, isn't it? Unless it's something that is, is their, um, their intellectual property, I guess the word is. Like they, they're just not interested. And it's, I don't know, it's not the way that I think we want the sport to progress. And now that the technology exists, just use it. Uh, th- that's my opinion. And I'd love to see it, especially in Kona. Like I, I agree. I think Nice will be a bit of a different kind of a race. I don't think drafting will come into play just as much there. But um, then, then again, I, you know, I've seen some footage coming out of Amber man where a very overzealous referee was pinging people going up the cold is wide uh, a 15% gradient climb for being within 20 meters of each other and, and giving them penalties. So you know, who who knows when it comes to, to racing in France, <laughs> what sort of uh, rules are going to be enforced there. So, yeah, maybe race range does need to be used. Two women from the, the women's race, 
that I want to get your opinions on. And and really, did they underperform or, or overperform? And, and what do you think of them? So Laura Phillip finishing sixth. Yeah, I mean, my she was a long way off the back of that main group as they came through town out, out of the swim. So she obviously didn't have the swim she wanted. And it just... It left her with too much of a gap to, to bridge when you've got a really strong working group with Kat Matthews, Imogen, Emma, Paula, uh, who else was there? Danny was Danny. there, of course. I mean, she was the main driver. So like, you cannot come out of the swim behind Daniela Riff and expect to ride up to her or that group that she's in. So, um, yeah, I think that she'll probably walk away a bit disappointed that that swim just let her down because she was running really every time I saw her on the run course she looked like one of the best runners on, on ground, but she just let herself down in the swim by the look of it. And what do we make of Daniela Reef? Mm. It's an interesting one. You know, you don't know what she has going on. She still came top 10, which was great, but you know, history would tell us that Daniela here may not be indicative of Daniela in Kona because out of all the women in the top 10, She's the one that's most likely to go to Kona and just do exactly what she did twice, you know, and win. So she may not go a whole heck of a lot faster, but she's going to be the one that might not slow down. So I would, I still definitely would not count her out for Kona. This might be just her slow burn into it. So I've still got my eyes on her, but I don't know any specifics of how her personal race went. Were you surprised to see her finish ninth and 10 minutes back considering her performance at Roth where everyone was sort of like, oh, Daniela's back to being the best in the world. She's she's probably going to win, you know, 70.3 worlds and, and Ironman world championships from here. It's sort of, that that's what the, the sort of vibe I got after Roth was and maybe just because of how dominant the performance was. But then to see her, you know, almost five minutes, four or five minutes down from Taylor on the bike. Yeah, were, were you surprised or do you just expect this? Do you think she's in a heavy training block for the, the Ironman World Championships and we should have never expected her to have like one of her bit better races? Yeah, I think some of it could be that she is in a really heavy training block and also some of the greats in the past and then just other people even this year you've seen that, you know, Magnus, he had an amazing Roth, but then he's hit a lull afterwards. It doesn't mean that his niece is, good, you know, not going to be great. And I think for Daniela, like it's pretty, I mean, I look back to Rini, who was amazing and she would go and win Kona time and time again. But if you looked at her a few months before Kona, every single year, people would write her off. So I just, you know, I'm not sure where Daniela is with everything, but I don't think it's indicative of what's to come for the rest of the year. What about you, Luke? Where do you see Daniela Reef at the moment? Yeah, I think she's in a point of her career. I think, you know, she's been so dominant for so long that we look at results like today as a bit of a failure, which is which is rough because, you know, she really is uh, the the greatest of all time when it comes to the women's side of racing. And uh, she's been there for so long and, and it's obviously quite hard to, to maintain your position at the top. And I think, you know, as you get later on in your career, you're going to come across new generation coming through and different race dynamics. And that's definitely, I think, one of the things that I've noticed in the last, well, everyone's noticed in the last, you know, few years is, is the, the strength of women's racing right now is definitely at the highest level it's ever been. And, uh, that's that's amazing for the sport and it, it's i think that they've caught up to danny and i think so now when when it comes to an, a race like this at the world championship level uh it's not so easy for danny to just waltz off the front like she has in the past taylor nib style essentially 
and win the race. So I think that, you know, coming sort of from that point of view, I think you know, she's done quite well. But like Beth said, I think, you know, we saw it when when she came out, absolutely dominated Utah and she 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 won that race very convincingly i i would not write her off at this point given she's still got seven weeks of work before she she lines up in kona yeah and question for you jack so if somebody asked you if if taylor nib was going to race kona would your money be on daniela or taylor beth it was literally so i swear to you my next question was going to be like okay so to wrap up here guys I want to get uh, like an idea from you. Who are the favourites now to win the men's race at, at the Ironman World Championships and then at the women's? And I was going to wrap it up with who who would win if Taylor <laughs> does go, Beth, uh, Daniela or Taylor. So, yeah, you're literally reading my mind. Um, I would back Taylor to be there in T2, but I think it's a long, long day for, for someone like Taylor Nib coming off all the racing she's done. And I would be surprised if the marathon didn't get the better of her the same way it did with Daniela when she came second to um, Miranda Carfrey in 2016 or no, 2015, one of those years. I think it would be a very similar race where um, Daniela and, and Taylor would have a, a big battle for a long part of the bike, but I think the, the length of the day would get to Taylor. I think Taylor can go and win it next year and then probably win it for five years in a row, but I would be backing Daniela um, to, to potentially get the better of Taylor. Although I see Anne Haag as the favourite for, for Kona this year. Um, I, I think that for me, she's the big favourite, um, even ahead of Daniela Reef. What, what do you guys think? I'm, I'm team Kat for sure. I love Kat Matthews. She's been one of my favourites for a long time. I love it when the commentators are like, oh, Kat's not a pure runner. And I'm like, just because <laughs> she's not a stick figure does not mean. I mean, I've talked to Mark before about how Kat used to run – 15 something minute 5k's and like grew up running cross country in great britain with her dad like cat is a pure runner but people don't believe she is which is like the most hilarious thing when she gets in battles with people and you're like oh no cat's gonna win but nobody believes it until she does it which is just it's amazing so i mean i think cat has a good chance to win the world championships but then yeah as you said daniela and ann hub will make that pretty difficult yeah, I think I mean I I agree with the with your uh, assessment of Taylor. Like, it's a big step up from the seventy point three distance to go the full distance, um, and even to ride one hundred and eighty kilometers, it'd be quite foreign for Taylor. And um, I'm all for it. I'd love to see it go for it, but um, you know, it's it's definitely a big big task. And uh, given that you've got several women that you know are very proven over the distance, you know, like Danny Cat. Uh, Chelsea would be in there as well for me, obviously. And then you've got Anne as well. Don't write off Laura Phillip. I think we're really honestly lining up for the probably the best ever women's world Ironman championships. If Taylor did go and we got to have a battle between Daniela Reef, Annie Haug, Chelsea Sadaro, Laura Phillip, Kat Matthews, and then Chuck Taylor Nib in there, that would be... I would be as excited for the the women's race as I would be for watching the sort of last dance of Jan Frodeno, which for me is a pretty big moment in triathlon. And usually every other year that would be sort of the big thing. But I, I honestly think I might be more excited for that women's race, even with that happening. So I do hope Taylor Nib shows up because yeah, that would that would be one for the ages. And and speaking of the men's race, now with every every race for the year done except for for the Ironman World Championship, every championship race done. Who is the favourite for the men's race? Who are we picking? Who did we think was going to factor and now that we've seen all these races maybe isn't going to factor? It's interesting, isn't it? Because I, given before Milwaukee, I thought 
Jan was probably good for a top five, uh, but then he went and absolutely destroyed Milwaukee and put himself way back into the picture. Um, you know, I'm I'm not sure. I, I I would. There's so much sentimental. Like I'd love to see Jan pull it off and just mic drop the thing and be like, "Go, done. I'm out of here." But you know, I think the the thing is what I would have sort of seen with Jan in the last couple of years. He's 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 definitely a little bit fragile and I'm just hoping that he's not going to turn up either injured or just doesn't have that back end of the marathon like we saw in Hamburg. So um, it looks like he's in still in amazing shape and he's recovered well from Milwaukee and, you know, looking forward to seeing him this week to see, you know, how the training's progressed since then. But, you know, I mean, given that he's, you know, multiple time Ironman world champion, I'm going to, I'm still going to stick with Jan and say, you know, I think that given that, he's performed well on really hilly courses he's close to home he hasn't got had to travel travel far he's he's under race compared to a lot of people he didn't really have that big effort in the middle of the year like magnus and and uh yeah i'm still gonna put yarn up there and you know obviously magnus is the big talking point with what he did in roth and uh but then we saw him suffer in uh in in milwaukee so um, you know, it's a long time between between races there, so he's, he's still got a lot of time to turn it around. But I definitely think it's going to be a really great battle between those two. What do you think, Beth? Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a tried and true Jan fan girl, so I do <laughs> I do love Jan, and I think that I do think that this is going to be his race. You know, coming into this year, I'm sure a lot of people thought Sam Laidlaw would have a good chance being French as well, but that's not. I don't think it's in the cards for him this year. I do see some more dark horse type of like Clermont Mignon type things coming type things. <laughs> He's not a thing. He's a person um, <laughs> coming up and, you know, he had a rough race and dropped out of the PTO, but I think that I know that he's been really training for this and I could see something, just a few people like that coming through. I do not know the health of Rudy Von, Von Berg at all. And he hasn't raced in a while, but Nice is like a home race for him and he's always done really well on that course. And I could see Rudy having a great race if he's healthy. And Jack, I'm definitely not going to write off our boy, Braden Curry. Um, oh, we've yeah. spent a lot of time with him this year and honestly, a really hard hilly course. This is not unlike Utah last year where he performed really well. I think there's a lot of things there that really align for him. Uh, and what we saw in Cairns, I think it was probably the most underrated performance of the year. Where I, I personally witnessed his race up in in Cairns and and the two thirty six marathon that he put together, totally un, you know, unput. He wasn't pushed at all. Uh, I, I really think that you know he's not. He didn't have the race that he wanted in the PTO, but you know what? I, I feel like that's fueled him in this last push towards Nice. I know he's there already. He's happy. He's ready to go. And uh, he'll get on the podium again, I reckon. Yeah, I just uh, I've just spent the last couple of days in St Moritz with with Braden. He did twenty times one k on the track uh, literally yesterday morning, and and then I had a little coffee and swim in the lake with him afterwards. So can attest that I think he's in pretty good shape. Looks in very good shape, at least to my, to my eye. Um, Patrick Lang, who was also in St Moritz training, I think the course suits him. Funny that um, we're not talking about Max Newman. We we sort of. There's a bigger secret, the biggest secret that's not a secret in triathlon that is he's been battling with injury basically all year yeah. since the European Open. So after that race, I think a lot of people probably now had him as the favourite to to win the Ironman World Championships. And then six months later, he he really hasn't put together the year of training that he would like. And 
probably not going to be talked about that much as a favourite. Um, Sam Laid, though, the same. Like, what what is going on with Sam Laid, though? He can't get any consistency, can he? And I think everyone sort of keeps expecting him to pull one out of the hat like he did at Kona last year and have a have a massive race. So imagine if he did that at the World Championships again. That would be pretty amazing as a story. But, yeah, for me as well, how, how can we look past Jan? But I reckon the only guy who you can sort of even talk about as close to, to on the level of uh, favoritism for him, for him would be Magnus Ditliv. But like you said, he was pretty tired coming off Roth at the US Open. And um, who knows? Who knows how he's pulled off between pulled up between now and then. But yeah, for me, probably Jan and, and then Magnus are the two big favourites. And I think a Smokey, like someone who can climb really well, like a Patrick Langer or a Braden Curry or a Leon Chevalier will, will uh, make it onto the podium as well. Totally agree. You know, we'll know in two weeks' time. I guess this time in two weeks, we'll probably be having beers on the. We'll see uh, you there, right? Yeah. Yep, I'll be there. I'm, are you guys going to come to my podcast? I'm doing um, three live podcasts: uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. Do you guys want to come and uh, jump on stage for one of those nights? Oh, where and when? And we'll be there. We're uh, yeah, we get to town on on the Monday of race week, so we're looking forward to uh, yeah, just catching up with everyone and, and getting amongst it. So. Yeah, no, we'd definitely love to come down and be part of it. Let's do it. Big weekend of racing at the 70.3 World Championships. It felt like a, to me, it felt like a chaotic week of racing. It felt like so much happened in, in the two weeks before. It felt like Singapore was three days ago and the US Open was, you know, a week ago. Like every, it just feels like we've had so much high level championship racing recently that I'm a bit lost in it all, but yeah. um, crazy day for the, the men today. The the young Germans out of nowhere, um, Rico, amazing performance. Freddie Funk and Jan Stratman, Mattis, awesome. Taylor Nib dominated the women's race and and Kat and Imogen rounded out at the podium um, with Emma Pallant fourth in a great battle with Kat. Amazing weekend of racing and uh, we'll do it all again in the next month or so with uh, Nice and then on to Kona. So. Yeah. This uh, this inclusion of the PTO has really made championship season at triathlon full of it's action, big, hasn't it? Huh? Like it's just nonstop. Jack, you know we're going to come visit you at your podcast, but you need to come visit us at the Win Republic booth at the Expo at the Nissan Man World Championships. <laughs> yeah, I actually can't wait. I should come along for one of the days, and we'll hang out there. That'd actually be good fun. Put you on the booth, mate. You'll work. You'll never work a day that hard in your life. I oh, know those expos are brutal, aren't oh, they? Five straight days. <laughs> But it was awesome. It was a really good, it was a good event, but we're shattered. And tomorrow we, we fly. Yeah. <laughs> Even more than that. I just reckon spectating races is as hard as racing them. I know that sounds crazy. I know, but like you spectate a, a day of races and you get to the end of it and you're like, oh my God, I'm completely wrecked. Well, Beth and I also For spectate races like we are racing. I mean, we're, we're always in our running shoes and we probably, I don't know, we, what did we get about 20 K of running when we watched the race? So yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it, we love it. And, and honestly, like a lot of people ask us, do you guys miss racing? And there's nothing we're missing about racing. We love being out there supporting our athletes and 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 the, and the other professional athletes, that all of them that are racing. So we're just super fans. So we love it. And it's a bloody good time to be a fan of the sport. Beth and Luke, thanks so much uh, for coming on. I always appreciate it from you guys. And uh, see you in Nice. See you there, mate. My favorite training and racing fueling product, by so far it's not even funny, is Precision Fuel and Hydration. 
Their gels taste great. They don't have that yuck, fake, artificial flavory taste. They have really nice textures, unlike most thick, gooey gels. They come in easy-to-use practical packages so you don't get your hands all sticky and they have like a really easy-to-use twisty top on the PF90 gel, which I love. And they're not as expensive as certain marketing-hype-driven nutritional brands. They've also got electrolyte tabs, which I think are awesome and every triathlete should use in training and racing. So if you want to try them for yourself, then head to Precision Fuel and Hydration's website and use the discount code HTT23 for 15% off your order every single time you shop there. 